And thanks to Cry Malt, local malt for local beer, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. And as never, I'm joined by um, Australian Brews News editor, James Atkinson. Oh, thanks very much, Pete. This is uh, becoming a habit. It is, isn't it? And I didn't even have to shoot my mouth off and uh, say anything wrong to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, this is the first time I think the three of us have done a, a co-host, isn't it? Well, I mean, the Mia Culpa episode was a three-way, wasn't it? Don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was we technically had you on as a guest, not as a you know a co-host. Oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. All, all right. Well, this is definitely unprecedented then. The reason for it is because of the miracles of modern technology. This is being recorded after last week's show because we're all going to be knee-deep in Good Beer Week when this show goes to air. So we thought we'd stay ahead of things, do a bit of planning, all of the things that our uh, subscribers have been financing and have a show already. And the show that we've got, James, you've had a chat this week with a brewer by the name of John Keeling. So because we're recording this a week early, we don't have any current news to talk about, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you came to be speaking to John and give us a bit of background to John Keeling. Yeah, well, John is the brewing director at Fuller's Brewing in London. And? <laughs> London Pride and Fuller's ESP. And... Yeah, and he's out uh, judging at the Australian International Beer Awards. Yes, yes, exactly. So that, that's sort of why he's, he's out in the country at the moment. And he was just dropping by Sydney very briefly just to see a couple of customers. But actually, really, I think mainly he was in Sydney on holiday, which is why I asked him to take the time to do the interview, which was the following morning after an event that I attended at Bucket Boys, where basically Fuller's had all these beers that, you know, we don't see probably so much or we don't know them for as much in Australia. The Vintage Ale and also Parks Masters series, which is a... Um, series of years where they basically dusted off the old recipe books. And I know that uh, historical brews are something that often, you know, Matt, they're not, they're not sort of executed very well and they can come off as a bit simple, but at full, they really seem to put a lot of effort into really recreating as best they possibly can some of these ancient historic brews. So it was just a really good night, a whole lot of different fullest beers, including their Kolsch, sort of a beer that I didn't know they had in their range at all and very generous pause lots of fun was had and you know by the time the event was over I knew John and I were both over it and so I just suggested that I come and meet his hotel in the city the next morning and yeah we had a half an hour and then I think he got about his holiday after that so it was really good of him to take time to do it. Without any further ado let's get in and listen to your chat with John Keeling. We often start these interviews uh, John by simply asking who is John Keeling? I'm, I'm the head brewer, brewing director actually of Fuller Smith & Turner. Uh, I've been with Fuller's for 36 years, uh, during which I've risen from junior brewer right to the top, so I've got the top job in brewing at the moment, uh, but I will be retiring a year in September, so we will see what holds after that. What's kept you at Fuller's for such a tremendously long amount of time? I mean, Fuller's have always been interested in making... Uh, great beer if we can and it's not for me to say that Fuller's makes great beer but we always attempt to make great beer and therefore I think that you know they've always put the brewer at the forefront of what they do because they are a brewery and uh, and even that we own 400 pubs as well but I feel like the brewing is the heart and soul of the company and it dictates the standards and values of the company and I I like you know that brewers are so valued at a company like Fuller's. 
You mentioned at the tasting event last night that you're actually a director of the company as well. Yeah, I am a director of the company. I was made a director in 99 when I was promoted to take over from the retiring director of brewing, Red Strawry. He'd been with Fuller's for 40 years at that point, and I think it's good that he did 18 years as brewing director, and I've just completed 18 years as brewing director. But is it a bit unique uh, for a brewery to have the most senior brewer as actually on the board of the company? Um, I, I, I don't think it's unique, but it is a great thing that a brewer should be. Not enough breweries have their brewers uh, as, as so important. You know, there's lots of companies who just think that brewing is just a part of the work that they do. Marketing and sales are more important. Finance is more important. Uh, a brewer is a person who does as he's told and, and makes the beer marketing want at the price finance want to produce it at. At Fuller's it's much different. We work out how to make a great beer, then we work out what that price will be, and then we work out how to market it. I think it's really good working with Fuller's marketing department is because the beer informs the marketing, not the other way around. So before we have a marketing campaign for a new beer or whatever, they all have to drink it. And then they say, well, okay, and, and, and if we have an advertising company or a marketing company that come in from outside to help, they have to be immersed in that beer too. You know, you can't do it in isolation. The beer informs the marketing. In 36 years, you would have witnessed some tremendous changes in the brewing industry, and probably even more so in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, the craft beer revolution, if you call it that, has been a great thing, I think, for brewers. I think it's the best time to be a brewer now at any other time in my career because beer is the most important part of all companies. Again, flavour is so important. Brewers are expert in flavour. Nobody else in the company has that expertise. And again, you can see it in the world of food too. Chefs are so important, again, because food now has to be, you know, excellent, great quality, Bread has to be equally, you know, fantastic bread. We've moved away from the backwash from the 50s and the 60s where people were more interested in quantity rather than quality. People are back to wanting quality in everything they do, whether it's going down the restaurant, going to the pub and drinking a beer, or going to your local bakery and buying a loaf. You want top quality for your money. With the proliferation of small craft breweries in London producing weird and wonderful different styles of beer, where has that left Fuller's? Has that created any challenges for you as a business? Um, the market always continues to move on, and the market moving on always creates changes, and those changes are always the challenges you have to rise to. I think the craft beer world has given us a set of challenges which we find inspirational, rather than we think, oh my goodness, what's happening? And we have a definite role to play in the craft beer industry. We're not new kids on the block. We've been around a long time, and nor do we want to pretend we're new kids on the block. You know, some people say we are the father figure of a lot of the craft beer world. Well, I'd like to think we're the bigger brother of the craft beer world rather than the father figure, um, because I don't want to be sort of paternal in this that we're telling them what to do and how. You, you know, it is a two-way street between what we do and what they do and it's really fantastic that you know we've taken brewers from other companies into fullers and they've given us inspiration just as much as we've given them inspiration 
you know, American brewers, they come to me and say, oh, you know, John, ESB is one of the greatest beers. It was the beer that inspired me to start making beer. Our London Pride was, oh, we drank your vintage, and that's really inspired me to make barley wines and stuff like that. And then I taste their beer, you know, and I think, wow, that's a great beer. That's an interesting flavor. You know, where does that take Fuller's? And I think if you look at the sort of wash across the Atlantic into America, the first wave of influence, which included a lot of Fuller's beers, and then this wash has come back again. You, you know, we're making a greater range of beers than we've ever made, and we're using a greater range of hops than we've ever used. And that's because of the influence of the craft beer world. What are some of the beers that you've created that you've just referred to that employ more hops than perhaps you had previously? Yeah, well, we have produced a beer called Montana Red, which uses Galaxy, and we use quite a lot of Galaxy to give a really good fruity flavour, which the Australian hop does have. We wouldn't have got a beer anywhere near like Montana Red if we'd just used English Goldings and Fuggles, and we produced a beer called Wild River, which has American hops in there, produce a lager for the first time for a long long time and fullers have always made ales we had a little go at making lager during the lager boom of the 80s but it wasn't successful but now we're making a lager called frontier it's not really a lager it's a kolsch uh, but what's really interesting in it is that you know we're using american hops not traditional hops we're able to put a fuller's viewer onto it we're not making a copycat lager of a German or a Czech Republic lager. We're making a Fuller's interpretation of what we want to do, and that's what the craft beer world is all about. There's no point in us trying to make an exact copy of a German lager because they make great lagers. They make them better than we do or could ever do. You know, Equally, we make you know, bitters and milds far better than any German brewer could because we have that experience. But they can put a twist to pale ales that we can't put because they're Germans. Yeah, so they have a different outlook and, and one of the things I do want to experiment sometime in the future perhaps is to go to California and get a Californian brewery to make London Pride and see, you know rather than trying to force them into making an identical version let's see where the sort of Californian inspiration takes us to with London Pride rather than try and make the London version of London Pride and delight in the differences rather than beat them up that they've made differences, you know. It's being positive about differences rather than being negative about differences. Consistency isn't always the greatest thing to have in beer. But consistency is certainly very important most of the time uh, based on what you had to say last night. Yeah, I mean, consistency is very important, but only in uh, balance against all the other attributes of great beer has. A great beer, to me, has to have consistency and quality. Quality is about the specification. Consistency is about how often you hit that specification. But on the other hand, there's balancing against that sort of drive for the consistent, high-quality product. You have flavour and character. A, a beer has to have flavour and character to be great. Flavours uh, generate interest, and character is the way those flavours constantly change within the balance of a beer, because you cannot get exact consistency in a biological product. So sometimes London Pride maybe is a little bit more hoppy or malty or sweet or bitter than it normally is. And that to me is a delight because it gives interest and that's the personality of the brewer and the drink coming out in what you're tasting. And I think that's what makes the world of great drinks, whether they're wine, spirit or beer, much more interesting than the dull, boring, bland, consistent products. 
mean, if, if people just want to drink the same drink all the time, have a vodka and tonic. It's fantastically consistent, but maybe a little dull and boring. We also saw last night um, a few different vintages of the Vintage Ale as well as the Past Masters uh, series. Perhaps you could talk a bit about the role that those beers play in the Fuller's Range. Yeah, uh, Vintage was a, was a beer we, we developed out of our experimentations with bottle conditioning and the fact that you could make beers for ageing rather than just make a beer to be drunk fresh. And that's not a new thing, that is a rediscovery of the past. Uh, a number of beers from the past was always designed and developed for ageing. And we went back to that and it was great that we relearned some of the things that these older brewers knew. But we also could apply more science to it because more science is now available. And we have a very controlled ageing for vintage. It's really just full of yeast that's allowed it to age the beer. In the other beers, some of the other beers we do like Brewers Reserve, it is much more of a wild ageing where we allow all sorts of different bugs and other yeast that help age the beer and give more in it give other interesting flavors but vintage was very is very much a controlled so it's much more predictable but even though it's controlled because it's a biological product it is not entirely predictable there is always a time when when you taste vintage even for me who probably drinks more of it than anybody else in the world because i have that availability so i can often do taste tests with my team it does still surprise us you know, we open up a bottle that's five years old and we say, gosh, you know, that's, that's not really very good. That's, well, it's good, it's okay, but it's not as good as it should be. And then we retaste it in six months' time and we think, you know, that's fantastic. How did it get from where it was to where it is now only in six months' time? You know, and those things continue to amaze us. Passmasters is a different series to Vintage. Vintage is very much a new beer for us. But, well, in 1997 it was a new beer, but Passmasters is a deliberate attempt to brew the beers of the past that Fuller's used to make. We got our old brewing records, got all the records we need, so we make as exact a copy of that beer as it's possible to make. Going through great lengths to secure the right barley varieties, the right raw materials, but also changing the way that we make beer as well. In, in 1891, when we brewed XX, which we copied about five years ago, they did not sparge the mash. They, they flooded the mash. So we'd been sparging the mash since about 1908. Uh, so we had to stop sparging and switch our computers off and make everything manual again and override those computers, which caused us lots of problems, lots of headaches, but we went through it. Now, what difference that makes to the flavour of the beer, I'm not entirely sure. But if you're going to do something like this, you take it to the nth degree. You don't go to a halfway house and say, that's, that's far enough, thank you. You do it properly. And I think that's what we like to do at Fuller's. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And we produce these beers, which are fantastically interesting. But they were interesting because of the historical context. I remember we brewed a, a beer from 1914. And when we were drinking it, we were thinking, you know, those Middlesex and Surrey regiments, which were now going out to fight in the First World War, this could have been the last British beer, English beer, London beer that they ever drank in their lives. You know, so many of them did not come back. And it sort of, uh, it does place it into some sort of context. And all the other beers that we drink, we drink and taste them in the old tasting room that they would have tasted in 1926. They would have been sat in the same room we were, or the same brewery we were, drinking those beers and coming up with similar comments like, isn't that good? Yes, it is. Okay, 
but you know that's the sort of thing I think you can get a tremendous kick out of that, that you could actually you know as I have done is you can look up who the name of the head brewer was when that beer was made and think to yourself well you know I'm now in his shoes I'm that person and nobody else is it's just me and I'm tasting the beer that he brewed or his team brewed and you can see in the book and actually you can see his handwriting in the book and his team's handwriting where they've written notes or the recipe or the fermentation temperatures etc how it was fermenting so you feel a, a great connection with the past. The Imperial Stout that we tried last night had some pretty interesting inspiration and also an added ingredient that people might not expect from Fuller's. Well, I think beer is such a great versatile drink and it's so versatile because you use so many different ingredients. And I think now you have to be a real expert in flavour and what works and what doesn't because so many different ingredients can be used in beer, not just malt and hops. I mean, there's been lots of sort of advertisement going on in the past that said, made only from four ingredients or made only from five ingredients like that gives it some sort of purity yeah well if you make it from 27 different ingredients it's not a problem I mean, it's just what does it taste like that's the most interesting thing everything has to have a point to it if we're only using five ingredients why what is the reason because of the design of our beer only requires this and the complexity comes not from this huge amount of uh, different raw materials it comes from the way we put it together and the way we ferment it and everything else and, and that's why it's a great beer it's not because we're only using five ingredients it's because of the way we make it so when we come to do imperial stout my original inspiration for me and, and what i gave to the team is like we've done past masters we make beers from the past why don't we take beer styles from the past and put a modern twist to them what that modern twist is i have no idea but let's just kick it around as an idea and fortunately we had a beer writer melissa cole with us when we were sort of discussing it in the pub over a few beers and you know there's nothing like a few beers to lubricate sort of thought processes some of them lead you in, into distinct areas you shouldn't be in but, but this one it actually led to something good because Melissa says I've always wanted to try and get like a, a Turkish delight flavour into beer and we've been talking about doing an imperial stout which is sort of all chocolatey and Turkish delight would really work with this she says well how would you do that Melissa she says why don't you just put rosebuds into it so I said, well, okay, where do we get the rosebuds from? And because she's been very much involved in ingredients and she's a bit of a home cook as well and whatever, she found a company that supplies rosebuds because they supply it for people to make Turkish delight. So we said, well, we'll go and get it then. And we got these rosebuds and we put them in into the fermenting vessel as dry hopping, and along with some dry hops as well. So that's how the Imperial Stout came about. And now we want to continue that. So what I call the Redux series, take from the past but add a modern twist. And now we're going to do an Imperial IPA, which we're putting black pepper in. I think there's many brewers that have used pepper and whatever, but it's a first for Fuller's for us. And it gives us that modern twist, I think, to the beer. It's going to be about 10.5%. So it's going to be quite powerful. But that's, that's what... And these beers don't sell huge quantities. I mean, London Pride sells 150,000 barrels every year, and Imperial Stout sells 160 barrels every year. But it's great fun making it, and, and it makes our lives more interesting because we make that. If we made London Pride all the time, as good a beer as London Pride is, life would not be as exciting as when you make an Imperial Stout 1845 ESB as well. You know, having all these differences, I can walk to work and I can smell 
the aroma coming out of Fuller's. And I walked to work along the River Thames, and I can smell uh, the aroma. I said, you know what, we're making porter today, because I can smell that coffee aroma. So I know what we're doing without looking at the brewing program. I know we're making porter, and I think that's really nice. And that there is such a huge difference. And it's always fascinated me as well that the recipe for London Porter is only about 15% different from the recipe for London Pride. But what a fantastic difference in flavour. Huge difference, completely different beers. And I think when people taste them, they would never ever believe that the malt bill is just 15% different. When it comes to creating beers that have those different ingredients, I'm sure that balance is still very fundamental for Fuller's, and it certainly was in the Imperial Stout that we saw last night. Do you think that the principles of balance are being maintained in a lot of the modern craft beers that you're seeing around the place? Not always, not always, because people misunderstand what balance is. Balance is not having all flavours equal and everything in the middle of the road, because that's what a lot of people misinterpret balance. Balance to me is you can have a, a beer that is balanced towards hoppy character, and it's a really big hop bomb, but it has to have other things within its flavour in order for the drink to be balanced. So it has to have underlying supporting flavours to support the hop character. Otherwise, the beer becomes satiating and boring because it has no complexity. It has nothing behind it to keep the palate refreshed, and interested in the next mouthful. And the great drinkable beers have the ability to sustain interest over a long period of drinking. I always say to people, you do not know how good London Pride is till you're halfway down your third pint. Because halfway down your third pint, you're thinking about buying a fourth. That's what makes it a great beer. Uh, Lots of the stronger beers don't have that ability because they're too strong to have that ability, but they have the ability to satisfy you over a smaller quantity. But it's perfect in that it's a perfect drinking experience. You're not thinking, oh, that last half pint was really hard to drink, or that last one third, or whatever, or the last couple of mouthfuls were really difficult. You're thinking, no, that was a great beer. I don't want another, it's too strong or it's too much. But maybe next week I'm going to have another one of those on the right occasion. For beers like London Pride, the right occasion to drink them is a much longer period of time than, say, for the Imperial Stout. Nobody wants to drink Imperial Stout continuously for four to five hours. You mentioned last night that you sell a lot more porter in the US than you do in Britain. What do you think's behind that? Um, I think the craft beer world is behind the fact that we sell more porter because the um, sort of normal drinker in America is much more used now to having a wider range of flavour. So they're quite happy to drink porters and stouts, whereas in Britain, really, stout is Guinness and everything else is a bit different and is approached in sort of beware, this could be too much flavour. So you sort of like the normal drinker hasn't got that need to experiment with flavours outside his normal or her normal flavours. That is changing again. People are much more open now to new flavours. And what is really encouraging to me is that people... You know, I've spent all my career drinking in pubs and finding that women don't enjoy beer as much as I do. And I always think, well, why is that? I mean, it can't be because I'm a man and they're a woman. It is because of image. Beer has had a poor image for women and now it's completely changed. You know, the number of times I go into the pub and seeing young girls now drinking beers and enjoying them as much as they enjoyed wine in 
or whatever and I think fantastic and then when we have tasters our women tasters are better than our men tasters and and that's genetics they have better taste buds so it always upsets me a little bit when people say oh uh, women don't really like bitter flavors or they don't like coffee flavors or they don't like the roasted malt flavors it's like women have a narrower range of taste than men no they don't they have, the, you know, they're virtually the same. So if you like a porter, there's no reason on earth why a woman shouldn't like a porter. But I remember just growing up in my drinking career in the 70s and 80s, people did not expect women to drink a wide range of different flavoured beers. If anything, the only beer they would drink is lager, a Pilsner lager, you know? Not even really any other type of lager. And I was always astounded by that. Has the role of beer in the dining occasion changed a lot in your time at Fuller's? Yeah, nowadays, you know, there's many great combinations of beer and food that are universally recognised as being that. If, you know, the further you go back in time, beer has always been associated with food, that's for sure. But it seemed to me almost like from the 50s onwards is that certainly within Britain and maybe within beer drinking cultures that wine was seen to be the sophisticated drink that you put on the table with your food, and beer was the unsophisticated drink you had down the pub. And there are very sophisticated beers in the world and unsophisticated beers. Equally in the world of wine, there is unsophisticated wine. Not all wine is great wine, and some of it is just there just for a, a drinking occasion, a quick glass of wine or whatever. And, and so um, you, there was this sort of underlying thought that to have uh, a great food occasion you needed a great wine now it's been shown that equally a great beer with great food makes a great occasion and many of the great chefs of the world look at beer in a different way now as well and, and I also think um, a lot of chefs were influenced by French cooking which has a tremendous use of wine in it Yeah, so French is the most sophisticated food you can get and whatever and therefore wine is the most appropriate drink to have it well no it's there's a whole world out there now and i think that's one of the things that has happened in in the modern world everything has been opened up food drink you name it it's all much more open now and that's probably as an influence of the internet as much as anything else it's, people get information so much quicker and easier now what i'd like about beer above all other drinks is that you can turn yourself into an expert far easier than in any other drink. Beer is generally cheaper, it's generally weaker in alcohol, so you can drink more of it without getting drunk. So you can experiment far more in beer. When you've got food and you want to marry something to it, you could try three different beers with that food and work out for yourself why they work and why they don't work. And you can educate yourself. With wine, it can't because it's too expensive. What's your favourite, most exquisite food match with a Fuller's beer? Oh, um, it, there's been a number of them in the past, but I always go back to very simple occasions, like oysters and porter is fantastic, because it really brings, to me, it brings this, you know, the taste of the sea out of the oysters, and my wife loves oysters, and she loves porter, so that's my occasion, because it... It always makes her happy. And if you have a happy wife, then you have a happy life, don't you? You spoke last night about your involvement with Sierra Nevada's beer camp project. Maybe you could talk about how that came about. Yeah, Sierra Nevada have done a couple of beer camps where they've invited American-only brewers 
and this time they've decided to do an international one where they've invited brewers from around the world and they picked Fuller's to be the representative of Britain, I think. And I was more than delighted to go to Sierra Nevada because, you know, in the world of beer, one can't help but admire Sierra Nevada and what they've done for beer and how they've grown as a company. You know, Ken Grosser and what he started off with, where he is now, it's an inspiration for anybody starting their brewery off. It is the story of Ken Grossman, and he's really quite a quiet man and unassuming, and he's not at all big-headed about what he's done, but his achievements are there. And what I like about it, he's passing that over to his son in many ways. I met Brian, too, and Brian is not an exact copy of his father at all, but he has that same determination about wanting to make great beer and a, a thirst for knowledge about great beers, so one can't help but admire Sierra Nevada. Can you tell us anything about the beer that you're brewing for that project? Sure. Uh, they came to us, and they're an English brewer as well. One of their brewers was an English brewer, and they said, one of the beers that we really like of yours, John, and that we find inspirational is Vintage Ale. We would like to make a version, and a Sierra Nevada version of Vintage Ale. So that's what we did. We looked at the Vintage Ale recipe. We looked at how... Uh, Sierra Nevada would make this and they come up with lots of different ideas which takes the beer in a slightly different direction it's not an, in any shape or form an exact copy of Vintage Ale it is a homage to Vintage Ale brewed the American way and I was more than delighted to be part of that project and really you know, it, they took the big lead in this product I just sort of nodded my head and said that'll work, that'll be fine do they throw a lot of American hops at it? Uh, they, they've put a few, but they've also used plum uh, puree in there as well to give it even more fruitiness. And so, it, again, they're really interested in flavour. So flavour drives them. And it's the effect of all this you put in on what's the final beer taste like. And, it, you know, they're brewers of good taste. How is Fuller's performing for you in the Australian market? I mean, talking to um, Sam last night, he's very pleased with what he's doing in Melbourne and Sydney. And what's particularly pleasing for me is that we're seen by many to be part of the craft beer world, which we are, really. I do get tired of people thinking Fuller's is a, an old fuddy-duddy traditional brewer and, uh, you know, they're great at making this style of beer but cannot do anything else. If people actually go to the brewery in Chiswick, you'll see a brewing plant that is extremely modern and continues to be upgraded and changed. Sierra Nevada, for instance, said they have given us permission to brew one of their beers. And I don't think they do that sort of thing lightly. In fact, I'm not sure that any other company has ever been given permission to brew a Sierra Nevada beer. And we're not brewing it because we're the most traditional brewer in the world. We are brewing it because we are right up there with modern brewers in what we do. Since I became brewing director in 1999, because I've just done this 18-year equal of the previous head brewer, I worked out that I'd spent £70 million of Fuller's money within production during that period of time. Now, that is a forward-thinking company who are interested in always improving what they do. If I'd have only spent £1 million, then you could say, yeah, Fuller's are backward, but no. Spending £70 million, I think, is good proof that Fuller's is forward-thinking. And we obviously saw plenty of appetite for the beers that are coming to Australia at the event last night. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and people were remarking that this is different from American-inspired beers and, and German-inspired beers. And yeah, Britain is a world-renowned school of brewing. British beers are different to the rest of the world. The British style of brewing is different, and it's perfectly able to stand up to anything, you know, any other style, but it is a style, and you just got to get used to that British style of brewing. And I keep saying to my American friends, American friends turn everything up to 11 with their power of their flavour, whereas Britain is much more subtle, yeah? But that's about the people as well. You know, Americans are big and bold and... Us Brits are really subtle, aren't we? John Keeling, that's probably as good a place as any to finish up. Thanks so much for your time on Radio Brews News. You're more than welcome. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go. That was James Atkinson and John Keeling. And Fuller's is one of those breweries that I guess we don't see. They don't quite have the buzz and the cachet that they once had. But, you know, going back 15, 16 years, the English beers like Fuller's and the uh, the Belgian beers were the beers that anyone that wanted to drink anything other than you know, mainstream lagers and coopers really had easy availability to. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, listening to John talk about having been approached by Sierra Nevada to be involved with their beer camp, project it's sort of obvious that fullest does have quite a cult following in you know in the in the u.s amongst the brewing community but also just drinkers generally seem to enjoy the fullest styles over there and you know john was talking about how porter sells much more in the states than it does in britain for example yeah that's interesting prof are you a fuller's aficionado yeah, very much. And very much a John Keeling fan. I've been lucky enough to spend a couple of AIBA judging events with John the last time he was out. And I think the thing I, I like most about John is that he has grasped this whole concept of the old and the new. You don't need to forsake tradition to stay relevant, but to stay relevant, you do need to appreciate that the market is changing and how it's changing and offer drinkers who are perhaps you know new to the category something that's in keeping with modern trends if you like and style and that sort of thing and so yeah to have a Kolsch or something that's that little bit different from I guess what Fuller's are best known for and John's been at Fuller's he's been brewing for over 40 years and I think it's probably 36 or so that he's been with Fuller's which you know in this day and age is something to behold in and of itself. Yeah, and having lived in London for a few years and kind of cut my teeth on London Pride, I just really always loved. Um, yeah, I was pretty surprised to turn up to the event the other night, not having followed them that closely since I've been back in Australia, and sort of learn about you know Imperial PA with with black pepper, um, you know, an Imperial Stout with rose petals, and you know all these beers that just sort of really sounded like they'd be coming out of real modern craft breweries, not sort of a brewery with such a rich history that probably. Some people wrongly perceive as being a bit staid. It's interesting because they seem to have managed to stay in that contemporary space much better than someone like perhaps Cooper's has. You know, Cooper's is a very storied brewery as well, very traditional, making traditional ales. 
but they don't seem to have had the capacity to make those beers that do draw a little bit from the modern canon. Absolutely. And actually, I really, I thought about Coopers a lot throughout that interview and, and with some of the comments that John was making. And yeah, there is kind of a pretty good parallel there. And I would agree with you. I, I think that Coopers has still been very successful over the last few years as people generally start embracing more flavoursome styles. But I'd like to know what's next expanding into making, you know, just some more interesting beers. Terrific. Well, mate, thank you very much for filing that. It was a great chat. And no doubt as this goes to air, there's every chance that the three of us will be enjoying a beer uh, together at Gabs, given that this is going out Friday afternoon. So, uh, in fact, I'll be just about uh, jumping in an Uber and heading to the airport, having had a beer with you both. So, James, thank you very much for joining us. Prof, thank you for uh, being back with us for yet another episode and look forward to our next episode when we get to the tales of all that went on during Good Beer Week. Oh, Matt, you know, what happens at Gab stays at Gab's. What happens during Good Beer Week, that's, you know, that's just between <laughs> you and I. You've never been known for disgracing yourself, Prof, so I don't know what you've got to worry about there. No, that's true. Um, plus, I've got photos <laughs> of everybody. So if, if I ever do slip up, I've got plenty of photos of anyone who might reveal what I did. And so, therefore, yeah, Catch-22, you know, mutually assured destruction. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, James, thank you for joining us. We'll uh, have to have you back again uh, very, very soon. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. And we're out.